Morning. I think I just wanted to thank uh, Baker Heights uh, for allowing me to do this internship. Um, I know that we, as a church, have been going through a lot together, um, and just thank you for allowing me to come and uh, be an intern here, and thank you for allowing me to share God's word with you today. Uh, we'll be in Luke ten twenty-five through thirty-five. I mean thirty-seven. If you want to. Uh, Pull your Bibles out and head there. If you don't have a Bible today, there's plenty of Bibles in the pews, if that's what you call them. Um, And if you don't have a Bible and you would love a Bible, I'm sure that they wouldn't mind if you take that Bible. You can steal the Bible. It's okay. Um, But uh, even though today's passage is probably a familiar one, it's the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, I would just like you to come today to God's Word, even though you may have heard this plenty of times, with an open heart and an open mind to what God's Word might have for you today. Uh, I just want to go at this uh, passage a little differently than a sermon would normally go. Um, Instead of, you know, just a formal probably one or two point, I want to go at it as a dialogue, as we're probably just reading this in a book. Um, And so there's about a total of nine total conversation switches in this passage. So you could say I have nine points, which sounds like a lot, but it's not going to be that much, I promise. So let's go ahead and pray before we dive in here. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to share your word today. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for uh, coming to this earth and dying for us. Uh, and being the ultimate sacrifice for us. I pray that if someone doesn't know you today, uh, that if it is your will, that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. I thank you again for everything you've done for us. In your name, amen. Uh, So let's go ahead and dive into this conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. Uh, We're going to start reading in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to put him to, a, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so we see that the lawyer is asking a question to Jesus here. Uh, let, let me, let's set up the scene here, and maybe we can walk through as we were there. And for Google's sake, we have a digital picture right here of exactly what it looked like. Um, <laughs> And this, is, uh, this was taken by a Canon camera. Uh, so this is exactly what it looked like. So uh, just kidding. That's not at all what it looked like. They didn't have Canon cameras back there, back then. Um, and so Jesus is asked this question by the lawyer. Um, he asked this question not in a sincere way. Um, Jesus had been teaching already. Uh, before this lawyer comes up and uh, asks him the question, he's wrapping up the teaching, and the lawyer isn't scared to go up to Jesus. He, he wants to go up to Jesus, and he wants to embarrass him. He wants to put, put Jesus in his place. Uh, the, as it says, uh, the lawyer is going to test Jesus. Uh, the lawyer does ask a serious question here, though, and he probably sounded very innocent when he asked him. He asked Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do 
to inherit eternal life? This is a question maybe some of you are asking today. What, what can I do to get into heaven? What can I do to inherit eternal life? This question is asked more than one time in the Bible. Uh, Matthew 19.16 says, And behold, a man came up to him, that's Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Luke 18.18 also mentions this. And a roller asked him, Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is the one thing that all these questions have in common? The one thing is that they're asking what they can do to inherit eternal life. There is nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. There is nothing that we can do to make us look righteous in Christ's eyes. Uh, We'll get uh, more into this later on in the passage, uh, but let's go into Jesus' answer, or maybe we can call it a a comeback question uh, to the lawyer's question. In verse 26, Jesus says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus is responding with a question here. So instead of Jesus being like, okay, this is exactly what you got to do right here and there, and that could have been the end of the conversation, and I wouldn't have been preaching on it today. So thank you, Jesus. Uh, But he's throwing this question back to the lawyer. What is written in the law that you know? How do you read it? Uh, Jesus is simply sticking close to what God's law already says. Jesus says something like this in Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is fulfilling the promises in the Old Testament and will ultimately fulfill them when he comes back for us. With Jesus asking this question back to them, he is suggesting that the answer has already been written down. It's in the Old Testament. The lawyer then answers with scriptures. Uh, In verse 27, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer is answering with scripture here. He answers with Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he adds another uh, verse into his answer, uh, the ending of this verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We can see here that the true essence of true Christianity is love. That your love should be both to God and your neighbor. That your love to God must be wholeheartedly. That your love for your neighbor must also be wholeheartedly. That's what we must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus answers him and says this. You have done this, you have answered correctly. Do this, 
and you will live. So Jesus is responding with, good job. That's how I'm imagining Jesus uh, talking to the lawyer there and giving me a good pat on the shoulder. You know, good job. He answered correctly. I'm pretty sure he didn't do that. But um, that was a great answer from the lawyer. He used scripture, and that is inspired by God. And so he is using God's word to answer Jesus here. So the answer is clear. That anyone who can do this perfectly, love God, love your neighbor, can have eternal life. We, can, we see a problem here, though. We're sitting here today knowing, I can't love God perfectly. <laughs> I can't love my neighbor perfectly. There are two reasons, two possibilities of why this can't happen. Either God is wrong in his law, his law is just playing out just too hard, or it's us who can't complete it. And I'll argue that there is nothing wrong with the requirement of the law that Christ gives to us. Romans 7.12 says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. The trouble isn't in the law. The trouble isn't in uh, requiring that for eternal life. God created this world perfect, and we destroyed it. The, the problem is us. We see two verses later in Romans 7:14, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. We are the flesh, sold under sin. We are the problem. Ever since Adam and Eve fell to the devil in his lives, we have carried sin down from them. We are born sinful into a sinful world. Now, only if the lawyer would have admitted this, he would tell Jesus, I can't do this. I can't live perfectly. He would cry out, Lord, be merciful to me. If the lawyer would have only done that, Jesus probably would again end the conversation right there with this. Come to me. He says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all who, are li- all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't be like the lawyer today. Realize that you can't do this. You can't love perfectly. You can't love God perfectly. You can't love our neighbor perfectly. I know I for sure can't. We can't earn eternal life with Christ. Jesus gave the way into heaven. Jesus gave us a way into eternal life. He lived the law perfectly. That was his purpose of coming here to this earth. Jesus came to this earth, lived life perfectly. He, he loved his neighbor perfectly. He loved God perfectly. And he died for us. He gave us a way into heaven. He was the substitute for us.
We can be saved through Jesus Christ, not what we can do. We are justified through Christ, not our works. The lawyer, however, did not see it this way. He knows in his mind, though, I can't do this. I can't fulfill this. I can't do this right. But he decides that he needs to justify himself. So seeking to maybe justify himself instead of accepting that Jesus Christ can justify him, he asked the question to calm his own conscience and to put Jesus away with this question. He thinks he's going to put Jesus away. Verse 29. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You know, Jesus didn't say, oh, your neighbor, you know, next door. Do you love him correctly? Do you love him perfectly? So the lawyer is asking, who is my neighbor? The Jews at the time took that your neighbor was themselves, and they took, the, uh, they took Leviticus 19.18 that we saw earlier, as love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We can see that a lot today. Love your family, love your, but anybody who's doing anything wrong to you, hate them. Get revenge on them. See that a lot in movies. Somebody comes in, killed your family, and we go and get revenge on them for what they did. Um, but Jesus has already dealt with that in Matthew uh, 40, oh, what, that was Leviticus 19. Uh, Matthew 5, 43 through 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It is clear here that simply the lawyer is just trying to justify himself. He's trying to embarrass Jesus and justify himself. So the lawyer is thinking, man, I'm going to ask him, who's my neighbor? I'm going to put Christ right in the corner of the, you know, the UFC uh, boxing ring. And he's just going to hammer away at his, uh, his gut and knock him out right here. But Jesus starts the parable that we all know, um, the Good Samaritan. He starts in verse 30 here. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus said a man here in this passage, but the context suggests that the man was a Jew. Uh, This will be more important as we continue along with the parable. Uh, The man, though, was traveling on a crazy road. Uh, He started in Jerusalem, which is about 30,000 feet above sea level. And uh, he was going to Jericho, which was about 1,000 feet below sea level. Um, That's a a lot of feet to there. And the distance between this is about 17 miles. So this is a steep decline route that this man is traveling. I was just at camp this past week, and Colin and Carrie and all the rest of the youth will say that hill that we had to climb to go sleep in, to go sleep in our cabins, was miserable. The hill that we had, the, the layout of the whole campus was, we had the barn where we ate, we had the gym where... Uh, we played basketball in game. 
uh, we had the chapel here. But then they decided, after all that campground, to put the cabins way up here <laughs> on the big hill. And I was out of breath every time I was walking up that hill. Uh, Babu back there uh, challenged, what are the odds to Colin to run up the hill? And I felt, and they got it. If you don't know what are the odds, ask me about it later. But Colin ran up that hill, and, you know, good for him, because I'm not <laughs> at all. But even though going up the hill was bad, coming down the hill in the early morning for breakfast, you know, the processed eggs that weren't really eggs, we went down this hill, and I was basically jogging down the hill. Me and Beej walked that hill all the time, every morning pretty much, and we were both just jogging down that hill. It was terrible. And that was only a couple hundred feet. <laughs> this man is walking 17 miles, maybe not just straight down, but this is a rocky and hilly and a mountain area that he's walking down. Uh, basically just going through the mountains. Something I don't do, but people do it, and good for them. Um, so because of this terrain, because of what's hard for it, if I was a cop, I wouldn't go after these people if they were in here, in the terrain, because I'm not running through that. So it was easier for, for criminals to go on this route. And so this guy that Jesus is talking about, traveling alone, and these criminals uh, saw him alone and took advantage of him. They stripped him and beat him, and let, leaving him half dead. Um, and most likely, even his clothes were taken from him. Left, he just left to die. Bad shape, beaten to a pulp. And verse 31 here. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed on the other side. So here comes a priest, you know, the holy guy, you know, the guy who does everything right, apparently, walking down this road and sees this guy and decides, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to get involved in that. He's avoiding his duty, you would think. You would think the priest, of all people, would have stopped and helped him. Now, verse 32 then, another guy. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, the Levite was a helper of the priest. Um, so he's just right there. It would be like Ben walking past and then me as the intern walking past, not helping the guy. We can see they're not justified for that. They are seeing this man in distress and hurt, and they're just passing by him. Now, verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, back in the day, it doesn't get any worse than this right here for the Jew. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. It's, they could not stand each other. It's like in football season, the Pittsburgh Steelers go on to take on the Baltimore Ravens, hate each other. Anybody in the AFC North, we just absolutely hate. Um, but, but a Samaritan, why would he, this guy hating this Jew, this guy is the last hope. This guy would not 
help him. The Jews called Jesus a Samaritan. This is how much they hated him. Uh, in John eight forty eight, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you, Jesus, are a Samaritan and have a demon? That's how much they, they did not like the Samaritan. Now, don't get me wrong. The Samaritans were also terrible people. They rejected Jesus for being uh, associated with the Jews. Uh, in Luke nine fifty two through 53, uh, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. The Samaritans rejected Jesus. But even though their hatred for one another was great, this Samaritan, for some reason, was different. Let's read the rest of that verse. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion on him. Even though that man was a Jew. Now, I'm not going to compare the Samaritan and say that he is symbolizing Jesus. I don't, I don't think that would be right here. But his actions remind us of Jesus. If you read the Bible any, you can see that Jesus' actions are comparable with this. Jesus had compassion on us. It doesn't stop with just checking on the man. He doesn't just stop here and be like, oh, you're good or not? Obviously, he's not good. Um, so verse 33 to 35 here uh, He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The oil and wine was for the alcohol to cleanse his wounds. Then he set set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. He took this guy. He was riding on an animal, probably, I don't know what they rode right there on the hilly part, but I feel bad for those animals. Um, He picked up this guy, puts him on the animal, and... He walked next to him. He, he walked the rest of this with the guy on his animal. Verse 35. In the next day, he took out two denarii, which is about two days' worth of works uh, money, if that's what you want to say there. Uh, it was a good amount of money back then. Uh, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan made sure that this guy was taken care of. He showed compassion on him. He didn't just stop with, I'm going to take you to the inn, and then I'm going to go on with the rest of my life. Um, No, he, he didn't even stop at paying for the inn, for the guy to take care of him. And not only that, he came back and checked on him. This guy has mercy on him. He's showing mercy. He saw him in distress and helped him when no one else would. When we thought the priest, the priest of all people would come and help him. No, the priest helper would come. He wouldn't help him. But a guy who they had hatred for one another, he helped them. Jesus ended this parable with asking a question. In verse, uh, he asked the question, 
Uh, Verse 36 reads, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus flipped the question back to him. He gave him this parable and flipped the question back to him. Jesus shows him that the question that he asked, who is my neighbor? That's not the right question to ask. But the right question to ask is, am I being a neighbor to those in need? Are we showing compassion to those in need today? Uh, The lawyer then goes ahead and answers him. Uh, We can see in verse 37, uh, the first part of it, he said, the one who showed him mercy. He didn't say the Samaritan. He didn't say the priest. He didn't say the, the Levite. He said the one who showed him mercy. That it's not about that he was a Samaritan. It was about what he did and what, what did he show. He showed mercy. He showed compassion to him. So Jesus, this is uh, the last thing, uh, nine, Jesus commands. Jesus, in the end of verse 37, Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Now, you may be asking, how did that answer the lawyer's original question? How do I get into heaven? How do I get eternal life? Well, I'll tell you that it does. Not the fact that the act of loving your neighbor is going to get you eternal life. Not that you are driving down the road and you see a homeless guy, and you pay for his meal. That act isn't going to get you into heaven. But that we prove to be a good neighbor, and that we do so in perfection, loving God with a love that is perfect. That is what results to eternal life. But we can't do that. We can't be the perfect neighbor. But God's law demands it of us. And there was only one man who proved to be the perfect neighbor, uh, and that is Jesus Christ. The solution of the problem was solved by God himself. God saw us. We can't, we can't do these things. We are, we are a flesh. We are bound to sin. And God sent his son And he obeyed the law. Jesus obeyed the law. Jesus lived it out perfect. He was of no sin. And knowingly went to the cross. It wasn't a surprise that he was going to the cross. He knew what he was doing on this earth. He knew that he was going to come. And he knew that he was going to live perfectly. And he knew that we needed a substitute. And he knew that he was going to go to the cross to die to be that substitute. He lived the perfect life for us because we can't. Romans uh, 8, 1 through 3 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. What we could not do God has done 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Oh, sneak peek there. Um, But what must we do for this? We confess that we can't live this life perfect. That we, we just simply can't do it. We are in need of something. Galatians 2.16, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We can't justify ourselves. We can't be like the lawyer who was trying to justify himself by asking Jesus those questions. We can't do it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. By grace, by God's grace and the power of his spirit, accepts the gift that Christ has gave to us. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now what do we do from there? we realize that we can't do this. We can't walk a perfect walk. We can't love God perfectly. We realize this. Now we cry out to God, please be with me. I put my trust in you. And it doesn't just stop there. The road doesn't get any better at that point. You're going to live a life that is hard. But Christ will never leave you nor forsake you, as he told Joshua. Now, out of the gratitude and the thankfulness for the gift that Jesus Christ has shown us and that he's given us, live as Christ did, guided by the Spirit, that we may glorify God. Even though we can't live that perfect life even though we can't do anything uh, that is righteous in God's eyes, we can live and we can try to live according to his law, guided by him. We put our trust in Christ as we walk down this road. So love your neighbor as Christ loved you. Your neighbor being anyone. That is who your neighbor is. His love is shown for you in what he did for the cross. Show that uh, on the cross for you. Show that love to everyone. Doesn't matter who it is. We see a lot of division today in our world. Show love to those in need of it. So love your neighbor as Christ, Christ loved you. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again for just allowing me to look at your word and dive in to what your word has to say for us. Lord, I thank you for giving this parable and showing that you are great. Great. 
and that you have done this perfectly and that we can't. I thank you for dying on the cross for us and just giving us a way to eternal life. And thank you for, saying this, for showing this parable to show how we should be as we now walk this road uh, towards, towards you, that we would give glory to you. Lord, I ask if, if anyone here this morning does not put their trust in you, they don't trust you. They're, they're trying to justify themselves with being a good person. Lord, I ask that you would show them in their heart that they, they can't do it without you. That they can't show love perfectly, but you can. I ask that you would just move in their heart today through your word and that they would be saved to give you the glory. Lord, I thank you again for bringing us all here today. Thank you that we can do this freely in this country. And I just ask for, uh, that you would continue to show the grace that you did to us. And I thank you for everything you've done for us in your name. Amen.